Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where you bring questions to get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I am ready to go. <laughs> that never sounds sincere. I'm spent now. <laughs> and I'm spent. That was all my energy. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. You picked too soon, Glenn. I really did. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of your Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. It's like a St. Bernard. You get like one bark. And then yeah, nap um, time. I was part of me was really hoping that Lee was going to follow the pattern there and make a reference from an even older movie. Sure, because Glenn went kind of late nineties with the Austin Powers reference. Right, right. Then Jed Biloxi Blues does. Yeah, I think the problem maybe that I don't think Lee knows the dialogue between movies from the forties, <laughs> which we were keeping the the, the gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> it's exactly what it's like. That's for you math nerds out there. You're welcome. <laughs> and and Renaissance art nerds. That's right. And on that basis, I declare an emergency. Wow. Oh, no. But you know what I like as we tunnel this together? You almost had a 40s gangster vibe. I tried to do that. Yeah, yeah. it worked. Yeah. I was picking up okay. on it. That Thank was well you. done. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So uh, so here's what, here's what we're talking about. Uh, uh, before we were rolling, we were talking about uh, a church... Uh, in the uh, area, we we won't mention their name, but uh, they won't either. As it turns <laughs> out, <laughs> you'll get that joke in a second when yeah. I explain this. But uh, uh, a very large church with many churches at its international network. This that's right. A, a guy who, if you can find a Christian bookstore and walk into it, his books are on the shelves. Yeah, it turns out there's some problems. Uh, Sort of money problems, like yeah. really, really bad money problems, very mm-hmm. large money problems. Like you could buy a major league center fielder for the amount of money there in the red. Yeah. Tens Eesh. of millions of problems. Yes. And uh, <laughs> uh, things, uh, revelations and uh, allegations and who knows what, and it's not my place to say, and it's not my church, so uh, you guys do whatever you want to do with that. Uh, but uh, apparently they've solved this problem. Yes, they solved it. Now you think, uh, well, did they, did they, you know, move some people on from leadership that don't belong, uh, tighten up uh, the way they do their processes, and and you know, create a tighter budget and make up their budget shortfall? No, no, and hell no. What they did was they changed their name. Ah! Wow. And uh, we were we were just talking over how how does that work? How, who proposed like we'll we'll slap that patch on this sinking Titanic and it'll work great, y'all. That's problem yeah. solved. It's no longer the Titanic. It's. <laughs> The Ocean Dreamliner 2. <laughs> it's the really floaty ship. The definitely not sinking ship. <laughs> the we always wanted the water to be this cold and always around us ship. <laughs> Guys, I'm excited to go on your blimp. I really am. Yeah. On the side here, it seems like you've scratched out Hindenburg and written in the one that won't explode. <laughs> Which is a little, it's wordy. That's right. a little on the nose. Well, and to be clear, this we, we work with one of this church's um, plants mm-hmm. in the inner city. 
mm-hmm. uh, who are lovely people Very on the bridge, so. do a great job. And, they, and uh, one, our coworker Pete was on a church visit with these folks this morning at their rebranding ceremony. Yes. Uh, that, yeah. that is not why he went. He went with a guy. It just happened right. to work out that way. And uh, so they changed the name of this church. And when someone asked them, well, are you still affiliated with, insert name of megachurch here, the official church line was, we're friends with them. Yeah. We're friends. We're just friends. You know, we're, you know. Good friends. Mm. Yeah. Great yeah. friends. Sometimes we got, uh, friendship. We got, uh, we got caught in the friend. So we got caught in the friend zone. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's we got right. we got branding zoned. And, and sometimes uh, friendships have benefits. But here's what I'm saying. <laughs> you knew I couldn't not. Now yeah, here's what happen. I'm saying. <laughs> is uh, this gave me a brilliant idea? Okay. Okay. Here's what I'm talking about. Rebranding. Yeah. Is great. Yes. That fixes everything. Right. And it's like you can make a million dollars. Yeah. Just off of that. Sure, sure, yes. Okay. You can't make 70 million, apparently, but. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying we're going to rebrand ourselves. Oh, good. Ooh, wow. We, we have run this whole thing into the ground. Hey, That's look, I'm sick of this, whatever this is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no one can blame you for that, dude. I've had it. That's how Glenn starts every staff meeting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> sick of you losers and your loser attitude. That's right. Thanks, boss. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying now get out there and try not to embarrass yourselves. <laughs> That's right. So I'm saying. We gotta we gotta go for a whole new branding. Uh, so I'm I'm open to suggestions here. Okay. Well, do we want to try and keep you know the same like spiritually the same vibe that we have? Or just... oh yeah, we don't want to change anything. We're okay. not going to substantially change anything. That seems hard. Okay. Yeah, you, that's that defeats the whole purpose. The purpose is you just change the outside. Okay. So you can keep on being the same schmuck. All right. All right. Cool. I think I've got it because we can lean in a more mainstream. Christian direction, you know, cool. uh, you know, get some of that sweet, sweet Christian culture money. Broad appeal. Move away from say that to get ready for it. Mm. Proclaim that. Wow. Oh, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's strong. Yeah, meditate on that. Does yeah. do do uh, like most people who use that? Do you know what proclaim means? No, not at all. Okay, that's fine. Well, here's what I'm thinking is. Uh, I don't know if you all know this, but most uh, churches pick their name yeah. through a random name generator. Yes, that's right. <laughs> sure. So it's, you get one of each of the following family, faith, fellowship. Promise. Promise community. Bible. Bible. Apostolic. Apostolic temple. In of, Christ. Yeah. So you get, well, it's like a big bingo tumbler. Yeah. And there's like there's a whole bunch of faiths. Right. There's like one or two apostolics. You may pull right. that one out. It's a little rarer. Yeah, so... Temple's in there. Not often. No. Yeah, and sometimes there's a deliverance. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, signs and wonders. With signs following. Yeah. Doesn't come up a lot, but when it does, it's a doozy. Yeah. It... The Say That podcast with signs following, <laughs> I would tune into that. <laughs> Um, very limited appeal to the inner city and certain parts of Appalachia. Yeah. Listen up, y'all. We got ourselves some questions, and I got a rattlesnake on my arm, and we're going to go to town. Jed, why is your answer to every one of these in the notes, grab a snake? <laughs> oh, Here's what I'm saying. This we got family members. We, we have to rebrand. Look, we got to... Uh, how about this? Uh, say that platinum. 
Ooh, I like that. Oh. Wow. That's for the executive crowd. Right. It's the same thing. Right. We but now it's it, platinum. We just call it Upcharge platinum. it. Yeah. yeah. Surge pricing. Mm. Do you start out with, say, that platinum, or do you have to start out with, say, that select? Well, and then yeah. you move through a number of layers sure. to get to, say, that platinum. Well, there's, there's select, and then there's premium select. Right. And then there's... Uh, Diamond the Prestige. Diamond Prestige. You know, you're moving up to right. the, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. I think one thing we could, we, ha- we haven't thought about yet is just the minimalist approach. It feels like with a lot of branding these days, the more minimal, the better. Mm, mm. You know, a lot of churches, they, they have names like Ignition, you know, oh. the, the Launch, things oh, like right. that. So right. what, I'm, what I'm saying is we call the podcast Blaze. Right. Okay. But there's okay. no E on the end, and the A has a little line over the top that lets you know it's the long A. Just B L A with the line over the top. Z Blaze. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I feel like that already exists. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's a. Uh, Find no that's the yeah. Well, it also exists in the form of a. Uh, depending on who you ask, either. Uh, Conservative news or white supremacist hate site. Oh, oh, well. Be, oh, the blaze. Uh, yes. The blaze. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's not so. Good. So, so Lee, you draw you, an audience. Lee, are you saying we should be white supremacists? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I think so the that's, blaze that's, podcast would draw some big numbers at first, and uh, uh, maybe that a, not the type of people we want. Is that a hard no on white supremacists? <laughs> I think I think Matt pointed out the white supremacy. I was never for that, so I don't oh. know what you guys thought you heard. Okay. No, yeah. We don't have to wear bow ties, which would be weird. That's not... <laughs> That's a whole thing. Here's here's what I'm talking about. I like the one word thing. Totally. Right. Okay. Ignition. That's a good, strong word, you know? Yes. Uh, how about this one? Lunch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sure. Because you know why? Everybody likes lunch. First sure. church of lunch. You know what? I think I we go should go to church of lunch. I think this is a good trajectory. Let's go even farther with it. Loaf the podcast. Oh, that's Loaf. good. <laughs> that's... <laughs> loaf. Just we're tune in. We're gonna give you one big loaf of wisdom. We're well, sort of here. The branding might need work. Yeah, loaf. <laughs> The most leavened of podcasts. Dude, I immediately want a white t-shirt with just just the word on The only word is loaf. Loaf. <laughs> I think the other strategy that we haven't explored here is with a lot of these church rebrandings or kind of ideas, they just go for a thing that they assume people just couldn't have a problem with. They sure. just have like a big lofty idea like, you know, the Great Commission Committee or, you know, mm, right. there's the very famous... Uh, one that was uh, founded by a couple guys as a one of whom has had some issues. Uh, Acts twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, it's like you know, the Book of Acts ended, and then for like eighteen hundred years, Christian Christianity was lame, right? And nobody did anything, and they all suck. And then these two white guys came along, and now we're firing it up again. Ooh, yeah. So that's pretty good. So, but you know, you just kind of pick a thing that people like. Yeah. That you assume, or they have to pretend they like. So you know, Great Commission or Book of Acts or whatever. So if we just hodgepodge together. Okay, I think we can do a lot of this. I got a few. I'm going to float them out here. Now, I'm taking not just podcast names, just things Christians like. Oh, that's a good idea. The CS Liturgists. Ooh. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I I think that has potential. I think that has potential. Let's see. What else can we do here? 
We need we need something. The famous sweater exegesis hour. <laughs> that that is every Christian everything. That's Christian right? culture distilled right there. Yeah. 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 I I don't think we're going to beat that honestly. Yeah, I don't think we are either, Glenn. Do you care to do the honors for us? Do do what? You declared it on, so. So. Uh... <laughs> this is why we need a rebranding. This is not the kind of behavior that proclaim that can put up with. Yeah. <laughs> and also, just as a little peek behind the curtain, if I had just rolled into saying emergency off, Glenn would have just yelled, hey, that's not how it works. That's right. I declared it, so. That's true. Emergency off. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very reluctant emergency <laughs> off. Oh, it's all in the timing. Well, uh, we'll probably, uh, even as we uh, re- rebrand to the uh, the Proclaim That Sweater Exegesis Hour, we'll probably keep a bridge box as it is. Cause, oh, yeah. You know, I won't be able to be able to read the emails. And people like the bridge box. You get your sermons and your songs and all sorts of great stuff. So we're closing out October, which is How Do I Stop Being Afraid? We're moving into the month of November, where our topic is about how to be thankful when circumstances are hard. So, uh, again, sermons from Glenn and myself. Um, if you want to hear me stealing Glenn's point openly and then uh, him being very angry about that, you can listen to our sermons in, uh, in, the, in the, uh, the, the chapter order that they happen and follow along with um, Glenn's displeasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that'll be a fun Easter egg for the Say That yeah, listeners. Very vocal displeasure. <laughs> yes, it's, he did not uh, do a good job nor even make an attempt to hide it. Um, so a little Easter egg for our friends on Say That. But uh, So you'll get a couple sermons, you get Bible studies, you get songs, lots of great stuff about thankfulness. It's uh, very appropriate for the November season. So if you want to check that out, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways you can get in touch with this. This one comes in to our email address, and it says, I see people who have hurt me seem to be leading a really great, shiny, fruitful life full of, and I want to try to... Uh, put this forward because I really appreciate what our friend here did with the punctuation. They put basically the, the teal day mark, like you put it at the end, but they put them on either side of this next phrase. So fruitful life full of church friends, mm. which I really just like the almost trying to put sparkles yeah. around it and beautiful, popular people. I'm feeling very lonely. I just joined a new small church and I'm struggling to pick up my Bible. It makes me feel like God's has God has picked sides, but I also think he doesn't work that way, right? And Jen, if you can uh, start us off here, let's let's start with uh, looking at the, the feelings here before we get into the God thing. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we're sorry for how you feel. Um, it, it sucks to feel like everybody else is doing great and you're not. Um, like everybody else has a great life and you don't. Particularly people have been openly uncool to you. That's an extra smack of injustice. No doubt. There's a famous old question in the Bible, which is, why do the wicked prosper? Um, and, uh, that's what you're asking and it makes sense. And we're sorry that that's what you're dealing with. We do want to look though at where you're getting your information. Cause I think that that may be telling, uh, my question is how much of this are you basing on their social media posts? Mm-hmm. Cause, um, if you, if you don't really have a relationship with them, I'm guessing you're basing all of it on their social media posts. And the thing to know about that is that's just people lying 24 hours a day. That's all Facebook is. That's all Instagram is. That's all Twitter is. Just people lying. That's it. Um, you. It, this is um, 
an old line. I actually don't know who it comes from originally, but the problem with comparison is that you are um, holding up your behind-the-scenes footage against everybody else's highlight reel, Mm -hmm. Um, and nowhere is that more true than on social media. Um, these people may have great lives. They may, they may have just charmed lives where everything works out, but I would not judge that based on what you see on social media. And here's why I say that people who have really, really full lives that are rich and nuanced and multifaceted are not putting all of it on social media. Right. (laughs) That's just, that's not how that, that works. Um, uh, I think that you need to look at the possibility that what you're seeing from these people you have known does not tell the whole story in any way, shape, or form, and probably doesn't even tell a representative story. It's not that they're exaggerating a little bit. It's that they are, uh, they are weaving a tale with, with their online posts. Now, here's why, here's why that matters, is we have a few problems here that are for sure real problems. We have people have been un- uncool to you. They have hurt you. They have they have wounded you. This is a real thing that we need to look at. We need we need to find some healing on that. We have the uh, fact that you just have struggles in your own life. You say, "I feel very lonely." That's a real struggle. I'm at a new church. I'm I'm struggling to pick up my Bible. That that's a real struggle. We need to look at that. We we need to get into that. But the thing that is kind of setting you off is mostly fabricated. Uh, I want to explain what I mean by that. You are perceiving that these other people are having a great life. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but they were uncool to you whether they're having a great life now or not, and we need to get some healing on that. You are not having a great life, and that's true whether they are or not, and so we need to do something about your not great life. What we have in the middle is this thing that may be true and may not be true, and who's to say, and almost certainly, just so you know, a lot of it is false. I I think a very significant proportion, but for, for sure it is not all true. And the thing about one of the enemy's key strategies is he loves to get us to look at the pieces we can't do anything about. Right. And, and the pieces that are basically chasing our own tail as opposed to the pieces we could actually confront, the pieces that we could actually change. You can address the hurt that you feel over the way these people have wounded you. You can and you should do that. You can address the fact that you don't like your own life today. You can and you should do that. Other than getting off of social media, which would be a great idea, you can't do anything about the good life they pretend to be having today. But that, that's the thing that we're kind of stuck on. So we want to start claiming some wisdom from the serenity prayer where we identify the things that we can change to do something about and the things that we can't and begin to let those things go. It's a really great place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up there, this idea of uh, starting to work on that healing for the bad, for the things that have happened, how that's going to help this out. Because part of that is admitting that you are angry about the thing that happened. That seems to be a sticking point for a lot of people. Well, I think so. I, I think uh, when when we're mistreated in some sort of way and we're you know now removed from that situation, there's a lot of uh, sort of sifting through the the details of the wrongness of that and there's a lot of um sort of focus on drawing lines of what's right and what's wrong what's cool and uncool what should i be willing to put up with what is a violation of a boundary and so on and so forth and you can come out the other side of that saying well 
you know, well, I've, I've worked through that, and so now I'm ready to move on. But there's a tendency to skip over the anger part of that sometimes in terms of just not acknowledging the depth of anger that's there because it feels unchristian to have it. Uh, but if you have it and you just ignore it and carry on as if it's not there, we're going to have a, a real problem with this situation. So I think we have to be in touch with the size and shape of that anger, acknowledge it, and then begin to work through that. Uh, so that's a, skept- a step to not skip. Um, here's here's another thing. Uh, you say it feels like God has picked a side. Actually, he has, and he's picked yours. If you're the one that was mistreated, you're the one that's going through suffering, and you have done the brave thing to get yourself into a healthy church where you're getting fed and turning things around, God's on your side with that. God mm-hmm. is in favor of that. Um, also, here's a here's a fact that we need to meditate on. If people hurt you, that's because there's stuff wrong with them. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, hurting people hurt people. That's that's the saying, and I think it's true. Here's the thing. If you're a hurting person that hurts other people, you are not happy. Nope. Right. The reason why is because you're a jerk face person. That's a technical term. Yeah. Uh, psychological uh, <laughs> jeng- jargon I'm throwing at you. And uh, you can't be happy because... You don't have a good life because you're a jerk face person. Yes. Those people are unhappy because people don't like them because they are not to be liked because of the jerk face element. So um, I think uh, it, 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 they may feel sort of this unctuous, self satisfied, uh, you, know, you know, isn't it great to be a schmuck like me kind of thing. But it's not real, and that's not to be envied in any way. Uh, Loneliness, uh, the loneliness that you feel now is not a punishment, and it may feel like that, but it it isn't. Uh, It's a challenge to be sure. But here's the thing. Everyone who has a healthy walk, a really healthy walk, and a really intimate walk with Christ had to come to a moment exactly like yours, Mm -hmm. at least once where they said, I have to leave everything and everyone I know. I have to make, uh, I have to sever this relationship. I have to change this church. I have to leave this Bible study. I need to end this friendship. Some sort of thing they had to leave behind in order to move forward in their walk. That's just an inevitable part of growth. And the thing is, they go through that feeling of loneliness that you're experiencing right now. If you find those people, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. They'll respect you for the decision that you made, and you'll have a much better, much tighter relationship with those people than you had with the others. And that's the part that you need to work on. It's not just social interaction. It's interaction with those people. Jesus said, uh, birds have their nests and, and foxes have their dens, but... The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you know, Jesus experienced the same kind of sense of isolation, alienation, and loneliness that you're talking about. But the thing here is that's a challenge, and you're most of the way to overcoming it. Connect that last dot, or get in touch with the anger, give that up, and get in relationship with other people that's right. uh, that get you and understand you. That's a really great point. And uh, Lee, maybe you can walk us through the idea of uh, Glenn's absolutely right. We do need to establish some relationships. It's not good to just sit in that loneliness. But 
when we're looking at envy and understandable envy, and we talked a lot about envy in the last episode, um, of someone who seems to have, have the, uh, the shiny, happy Christian friends, it can be easy to tick into, well, I need to find my own version of that, but maybe we need to be looking for something different. Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, these guys are exactly right, and I think that one of the things that's so difficult in this is that sometimes we get stuck in a situation where we realize there's something not right about it. And our, our, our best guess is to just grit our teeth and, and try to willpower ourselves into the right way of seeing these people when it could be that the best solution is to stop looking at these people altogether. Yes. Um, and so what I mean by that is, um, you know, your feelings make sense. As Matt says, and as we talked about with Envy in, in the last episode, as we've talked about before, it makes sense because you're a human being. And, um, and Jed's exactly right. It's not, a fla- it's not a fair playing field. And so, you know, it, exactly as he's saying, these are ways of, of, of evening the playing field in your mind. But there also comes a point where you just say, you know what, I'm not going to look at these people anymore. And the way that I'm going to actually do that is... I'm going to uh, find somewhere else to focus. Uh, we, you know, counselors talk about changing the channel when you are at an emotional impasse, and and what we can do to to do that is to find somebody else in your world that's probably feeling the way you're feeling. Find somebody else that feels left out. Find somebody else that feels singled out. Find somebody else that feels put down, and uh, and be there for them. Um, as Glenn's saying, get you know, get some different, get some some people in your life that get you. I think that's exactly the right way to go. But also get some people in your life that you are reaching out to, that you are serving. You've heard these guys say this before, if you've been listening to the show for a while, that you need to give away the thing that you want to get. Um, that is awesome advice. It's always good advice when you feel when your feelings are hurt. Um, that. That makes sense. I mean, it's easy as a human being to get your feelings hurt. What is really, really pro-level stuff is when you can identify what it is I'm feeling, and then you can say, what is it that I wanted? And then you look around in your life for somebody else that might be wanting that same thing, and then you provide that for them. You are a listening ear for somebody else who's lonely. That's unbelievably healing. Um, that's something that will one. That's going to feel good because that's a good. That's a good thing to do. It's good work, and you were made by God to do stuff like that. But two, it's going to do this amazing thing, which is when you are helping somebody else, you don't have time to look at those people that that you feel all those feelings about. And that's an awesome deal. When we can change the channel and simply stop looking at those people, we don't have to play that unfair measurement game. We don't have to figure out why we suck so much compared to them or whatever. These feelings make sense. But a thing that we can do about it today is to stop looking at those folks, change the channel, find somebody else to care about, and to give away for free the thing it is that you'd like to get. That's really, really good stuff. Um, One thing I'll I'll throw on the end here is... Um, it does may not feel like as much solace as it should here in the moment, but it's definitely true. Um, uh, when you look at someone and you are envious of their shiny, happy Christian friends, uh, the thing you need to remind yourself of is that as soon as they're not all that shiny and happy for a moment, all the shiny, happy Christian friends go away. There's a light calls out and a light thing there. What we're talking about is a, is a harder road. It's a tougher thing to find, you know, other people have some situations you do find people to serve. But the thing about those relationships is those are, uh, uh, re- much more real and lasting than the kind of uh, w- if you have to pretend to be 
in a great place and put up with stuff just for these the sake of Glenn put it in the social interaction. That's not that's not something that's gonna last. And that is a a kind of adolescent mindset in the literal sense. That's kind of what everybody does in their middle school and high school. And uh, part of kind of growing out of that, growing out of those social spheres is realizing that that's just not a viable, healthy way to conduct yourself as an adult. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say that we were looking at someone who's in college or maybe a little after here. So when you look at that, as, as Glenn is pointing out, um, loneliness not only isn't a punishment, but and it's a bad thing. We don't want to discount that. But it is one of those things, if you are if you can get the faith and the courage to push through that, to not be afraid of loneliness, because the worst relationships, be that romantic, friendship, church, whatever, are when someone says, anything will be better than being alone. That That is not a mindset that can lead to healthy relationships. So if you're willing to stare that down, which you're doing, that's, that's kind of being thrust upon you, but you're taking the right lessons from it. And uh, if you have the courage and the fortitude to make it through that, you have the courage and the fortitude to take those steps to make these healthy relationships these guys are talking about. We'll move on to our next question here. This one came into our Tumblr inbox. I'll read the question, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it before we send around these guys. The person running the Tumblr inbox says, What is the quote-unquote Christian view of euthanasia or assisted suicide? I can't quite grasp why we don't offer that option to humans with fatal diagnoses, diagnoses or unending pain. So uh, we're not going to get too, too much into the specifics of this particular issue. If you want more about that, I answered this question on the blog. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, so you can you can go search it out at thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. It'll in the I guess the middle of October we answered this, but what I wanted to use this as a jumping off point for get these guys to give some good wisdom on is there are things like this that are legitimate gray areas. Um, one of the things that I mentioned in the blog post I think is true is we get a little um, used to the idea of people trying to pretend that there are two sides to things that aren't two sides to. Yeah. Say, well, this guy says racism bad, but over here, this guy who writes for this paper says maybe racism's not bad. So right. a lot of opinions will be back after the break, right. um, which is, of course, <laughs> insane making. Right. But there are things on which there are both sides making what people call good faith argument. So in the case of euthanasia, that would be you may have someone who is a patient or a patient's right advocate who says, you know, this is a person who has, you know, whatever disease and it's gonna they know it's gonna get better there's no chance for a cure it's it's painful life they should have some say in how this all goes down you can see that point on the other end you may have someone like a doctor who's a christian or even isn't and says you know uh the whole oath we take is about we keep people alive and if we're going to start saying well maybe there's some people we keep alive and some people we don't that's that's actually a whole thing for us to open up that has a whole bunch of ethical and moral and professional complications that you can't it's not fair to put on us. This is not either side trying to hurt anyone or weasel out of anything. They're making a good faith argument. So we have a lot of these in issues of church stuff, of public policy. And it seems like um, Christians, a certain type of Christian wants nothing more than someone who stands up on Sunday morning and gives them a list of naughty things and a list of nice things. Right. And they have confused Jesus with Santa, which a certain type of Christian is pretty prone to doing. Now, in fairness, during the 30 hours he spent prepping that sermon, he did check that list many, many times. <laughs> He's making a list and checking it obsessively. <laughs> um, but Glenn, let's, let's, I'd love to get you to start us off here. So when we find one of these things that does have an actual, there are people on both sides of this, how do we approach that? And our, our friend here is looking for the Christian position. Right. So I guess maybe the other question is, how do we deal with issues where there isn't one? 
Well, first and foremost, what you know, in in essence, you're asking when you're asking for a Christian view is is a, is the theology of it. What mm-hmm. what's what is the theological position on euthanasia? And here's the problem: theology is about ideals. What is the ideal thing in any situation? So uh, theology is about looking at sort of what is the best case and uh, scenario in everything? What is the best belief, the most correct, the most appropriate, the most uh, godly, the most Christian thing that we could possibly come up with? And that, of course, has its value. But theology does not minister to anyone. And it doesn't really guide anyone, really, because in order to minister to someone, we have to take that ideal and take the real world and bridge those two together. We have to we have to connect those two ideas so that I can live out these ideals in the real world. Uh, so so the problem with any in situation that would involve euthanasia, the ideals have gone out the window in mm. every possible way. We th- this is so far from a pure thought experiment as you can get. This is raw, real life here. When, once we're in the ICU, the ideals have really kind of fallen by the wayside. That's right. And so I think the right response. Let's let's start with this. The right response is to begin with compassion, not okay. with theology. Glenn, you almost said that like those two things are often diametrically opposed. <laughs> well, in many cases they are. And here's the second thing: when you're when you're looking in someone's face that's suffering, because because I don't want to talk about euthanasia in the abstract at all. I don't have any interest in that. That there are real people that have a desire to end their lives. Let's talk about the real world situation as opposed to you know the the, the abstract concept of that. If if there, you have a real person that's suffering in front of you, and you have compassion, you have understanding for that. At the very least, you can see that this this you see both sides of this, and 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 and, and you you recognize there is no perfect solution to such an imperfect situation. There is no clear cut line to this absolutely is right, this absolutely is wrong. It's. It makes no sense for, uh, for me. I'm, in other words, I can look at that situation and say, uh, the person who is going through this suffering may be so distraught in their suffering that they're not thinking straight about the decisions that they're making. But they could say the same thing about me as an objective outside observer. What right do I have? to make a decision about what's right or wrong in this person's life, considering I'm not having their struggles and I don't understand it. So, so uh, I I think all of that's going to, going to continually level each other out. But I think it's important for us to approach this and any other real world situation with that sense of compassion and a sense of, I'm not judging you. And I'm not here to tell you, uh, what you must do in this situation in terms of legislating that morality to you and saying it must be this, it must be that. My job is to point you towards God and for you to seek God's face and for God to let you, for God to guide you and for me to support you in that. So, uh, you know, 
I, you know, as much as it's a tough thing, I, and I think this really lands on what Matt was saying in that blog post, is that this isn't really uh, a, a, a Christian issue about being Christian about it in a really Christian way. Uh, we, we, life is sacred to us, and the last thing we want to do is, is see anyone end that life prematurely, but we have to have a sense of understanding about some situations are beyond our imagination, some situations yeah. it's just so unbelievably bad. I don't know that we can sit back and judge that. We have to let God be the one to make those decisions in those individual situations. A really very good point. Lee, I'd love to go to you here. Um, I, cause as a pastor, cause I think part of what uh, people maybe when they say the Christian position is they're used to the role of Christian authority, be that pastor, author, whatever, being to say, here are the things you can do, and here are the naughty things. Yeah. And basically, Sunday morning is 45 minutes of, here's why the good things are good, and here's why the naughty things are naughty. And uh, I don't know if you know, Glenn, because faith is good. Ooh. Doubt is bad. Wow. Let me write that down. You know what's good? Prayer. Oh. You know what's bad? What? Not prayer. That ministered to me right there, man. Yes, yes. Now imagine that with 40 minutes full of fishing stories (laughs) and Greek. Yeah. So, but I think that that idea is people look to, well, what what is the role of someone if not to, you know, if I can't, you know, write into the guy or listen to the sermon and they eventually, I assume I have my list of things and eventually they'll just tell me which ones are good or bad and I'll, I'll mark it down. But uh, Glenn was starting us off there with the idea of kind of pointing people in a direction, individually letting them navigate, which is obviously what we want for our walk with the Lord. But in the context of pastoring and ministering to people, how do we get someone used to that idea of there's personal, there's personal, and not everything can be legislated or reduced down to do or don't? Yeah, I loved the way at the end of Glenn's answer when he said, I'm not here to judge, you know, this person, and I'm not here to legislate anything about this person. Well, (laughs) unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who are famous for some reason, who they wake up in the morning and they think, I just can't wait to really sink my teeth into some judging and legislating. Yeah. I just want to litigate stuff publicly. The pizza delivery guy was late. Farewell, pizza delivery guy. Wow. Oh, you judged him good. <laughs> That's the whole thing is that there's... And look, the, here's the deal. This is why people hate Christians. Yeah. Because Christians, uh, they they take... They they take uh you know these situations and these problems that are highly personal, and they make them these public declarations that are reductive, that should not be litigated in public. Um, one of the things that the the guy that trained me to be a pastor, one of the things that he said is, um, and, and I like this. He said, "I don't make pronouncements for the world. I pastor locally. I do not give unsolicited advice." And if you want to know what I think about something, you can come ask me about it, and we'll have a conversation one-on-one. But what happens is, is that so many, you know, famous Christians or authors or pastors or whatever, you know, they get on social media and they start running that head, as one of my friends likes to say, and, and, and then everybody sees what the Christian position is. Now, here's the problem, is that what Jesus said was, follow me. 
and that was supposed to be an individual relationship. He's going to call me into things. He's going to call you into things. And what he actually wants is a real friendship. He actually wants a real relationship where you figure out what it means to bring stuff to him and to get a direction from him. And exactly as Glenn's saying, it's not always anybody else's business what you guys work out. Um, and, and, and so we can't really have a Christian position about every single thing in the world. Things are not, as Matt said, they're not yes or no. Not everything is yes or no for all parties at all times in all situations and circumstances. And what we want to encourage people to do is to learn how to listen to the Lord, to learn how to take things to Him, to learn how to follow Him in their own life, in their own situations, and to know it's not my job to, to make everybody's personal business my business. Now, as a pastor, it's a, very often people will, you know, call me or text me or something like that and say, I'd like to have a conversation because I'd like some clarity about something and I'd like to bring this situation to you. Well, now it's part, it's, it's become my business because someone is asking for my help. And so I'm going to pray to the Lord about that, and we're going to talk about it together. But I'm not going to make a pronouncement about the whole world. I think the the place that this comes down for all of us is, um, one, exactly as Glenn said, are we comfortable not judging people? Can we go ahead and decide that everybody's personal stuff is not my business? I don't have to worry my head about it. I do not have to judge them. In fact, I've been commanded to not do that. Um, And I'm not going to make their personal business my business unless they ask me for my opinion and they ask me to pray and they ask me to weigh in. And then two, I'm not going to make pronouncements and legislate and reduce and litigate everything in public. I'm not going to do that stuff because... As Glenn said, some situations are complicated beyond our imagining. And if you haven't been in pain for more than five or ten minutes together for in a long, long time, you need to not be a part of this conversation. Because pain is an unbelievably difficult situation to weather. And we need to be respectful. As Glenn said, we need to be compassionate, but we also need to be respectful that we have no idea what people are going through. And um, let's try this on for size. Let's pray for these people. Um, If we know somebody in this situation, let's simply pray for them. And if we know somebody in our locality in this situation, let's offer a pan of brownies. That might be helpful. Uh, It's brownies are always helpful. And, and that's some theology I can get behind. It's yes, true. That's uh, tasty theology. Theological disclaimer, if this person's in the hospital, check with the hospital personnel before you bring in brownies. Well, you know. And here's a pro tip. If they don't, if the, if the, uh, if the, if the nurse on the floor, you know, running the floor has a problem with the brownies, ask, can I just leave the brownies with the nurses on the floor here? There you yeah. go. The, yes. the pro tip I thought Glenn was going to give, which I think is, if they say, sorry, sir, you can't bring the brownies here, you can just eat them all. I didn't tell the person. Right. I tried to bring brownies, but they wouldn't let me. So. That's right. You, you just got fudge. Yeah, you kind of get doubled. Yeah. I, I still wanted to come in, but I had to eat brownies real quick. I need I may need a bed here. Uh, so that's all excellent, excellent stuff. And Jed, I'd love to get you to explore for this idea of the Christian position. Yes. Because I think part of that comes from the idea that there are people. Yes. People 
who may email you asking for money. Yes. If you get on certain email lists, who would have you believe that there's a Christian position on everything. Yes. Because we're the Christian people and we have opinions about everything. Yes. So that has to be the same thing. Yes. If I'm a person who's a pastor or a writer or whatever, if I, if I, if I, see, here's the thing I have a Greek Bible in my, my bookcase. Wow. Therefore, every jackass opinion I have yes. must be inherently tied to the Bible. Dang, that's cool. Because I got I got it on the shelf. I gotta get one of them Greek Bibles. Yeah, it's it's an amazing carte blanche to have. It's <sighs> pretty Which awesome. is Greek for getting to say anything you want. <laughs> oh <laughs> Greek. Nice. <laughs> but the idea of that is, you know, that the there must be a biblical theological case for everything. Yeah. And some things are just aren't. Yeah. And in some things we need to be clear that people aren't arriving at decisions by that, even if it was in there. Yes. So I wonder how well we would do to understand the thinking process of both Christian people, um, people who want to be famous authors and even legislators before we go looking for exactly how Christian their position is. Absolutely. Okay, real quick. First of all, there's a ton of stuff, and you should be aware of this, about which the Bible is utterly silent, Mm -hmm. uh, about which it says absolutely nothing. Oh, Um, they knew about suicide in biblical times. Yes. It just doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, it just does not come up. So uh, we need to have the humility to admit that. Now, for the second part, which is the Christian position on everything, we're going to take a trip back to Jed's childhood. Oh, it's going to be magical, but not in the good way. Put on your special nerve-jamming defending helmet. Yeah. Here's the thing. I had a super weird childhood. Um, So I have some some very close relatives. I'm going to try and not be specific about which ones, but uh, who are into just really crazy level of conservative, legalistic, just... As as uptight of Christianity as you can find. Well, I think the the best uh, quick encapsulation of that is your history textbook, which had tidy whities painted on the statue of the David. That's correct. I had an art history book as a middle schooler where they had pasted undies on the David, and not in like we just were censoring it, as in they were trying to convince you that's the way it's sculpted. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, some of the groups that this particular relative was super, super into that shaped huge parts of my childhood have since been classified as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. So it's like that. Now, I tell you that to tell you this. Um, the people that I grew up around, they have the Christian view about everything. Everything. You got a question about it? They've got the Christian view on Mm. it. Uh, Which includes, by the way, euthanasia. I I grew up around people who have a crystal clear view on euthanasia. Um, uh, Spoiler alert, they're again it. Oh. Probably could not have guessed that. Is that that because of hundreds of hours of interviewing uh, terminally ill people? It's because they stand on the word of God, Matthew. But it's not in there. The word of God. You mean they're literally standing on a Bible when they say this? Because that's not what that means. You think it gets you closer to heaven because you're kind of higher up in the air. It's really a weird mixed message to send. It doesn't work like that. You can't do it because his symbology is real bad. But all I want to do now is take an older, really thick Bible I have and beginning one of my sermons, I'm standing on the Word of God, and just stand up on it. (laughs) You can't do that. Okay. They've got the Christian view on everything. Um, uh, and they, they're really self-assured of it. Like there appears to be no self-doubt. So that's, I, that must be like being high all the time. I can't even yeah. imagine. Um, but it's worth looking at 
Where does that come from? Now, Matt mentioned an, an interesting phrase, and that phrase was nerve jamming. I'm going to tell you their view on a different thing to illustrate the principle that we're dealing with here on uh, other stuff, including euthanasia. So my middle school science textbook, because um, I um, I was homeschooled there for a little while. Uh, my, <laughs> my, we're all so sorry. Uh, my yeah. middle school science textbook had a section about rock music. And you're going to think I'm making up what I'm about to tell you. I am no. not making this up. This is real. Rock music, according to my middle school science textbook, is a tool of Satan, Mm. and it it introduces a physical phenomenon that doctors have identified as nerve jamming. You don't say Yes. Nerve jamming, it jams your nerves Mm. so that demonic influences are better able to enter your brain. (laughs) And doctors discovered all that. Doctors know this to be true, but now, wait, there's more. Again, I'm not making this up. I want to be crystal clear. Right. This is real. This was in my middle school science textbook this is the christian view of the rock music here's how this is where the yeah rock- to be clear uh, if to get in a homeschool curriculum that means like this is people with money who know legislators this was not some weird thing somebody scribbled this oh was, no this is a major textbook this publisher. Is, this is the christian view this is the christian view here's the thing about the rock music here's how we know this the rock music with the nerve jamming which doctors can tell you about it is based upon african voodoo rituals Right now, Judge Crazy Relatives, yes. if I could address you directly, let me tell you what those African voodoo people—they knew how to rock. Here's the okay. thing: um, <laughs> they could get down, like they—they get ready to do their voodoo. They're like, "It's time to rock and Let's roll." Let's rock. <laughs> now, you—you uh, you may know that uh, voodoo, which is a real religion, uh, uh-huh. is from the the Caribbean islands, yeah, in America. Right. It's not in Africa. No. You let your racism get in the way of your crazy. Yes. And a rock kind of- block of voodoo. <laughs> can we can we make up a band for the Bridge Lab that's called African Voodoo Rituals, please? Already on it. Sweet. <laughs> it's a funny haha. It wasn't so funny to live through it, but it's funny now looking back. Uh, but here's the thing about it is uh, two things we want to know. A, they super believe that. Yeah. Like they super to the core of their soul believe that. But it's the why. Do they believe it? And that's what we need to get into. They do not believe it based on strict medical research into the right. nerve jamming. Right. They can't believe it based on that because there's no such thing. <laughs> right. This is made up. <laughs> they can't believe it based on strict uh, sociological and, and you know religious research into African voodoo rituals because there's no such thing. You're jamming my nerves right now, man. (laughs) (laughs) They believe this incredibly insane nonsense about rock music because they're afraid. That's right. Because they're desperately, desperately afraid. Yeah. They see in rock music something they don't understand. They see in rock music something that aesthetically is not to their liking, and they are afraid. Yeah. They're incredibly, incredibly afraid. And they are doing, on the basis of that fear, what basically everybody does. They're making decisions based on their emotions. Mm-hmm. They are making decisions for emotional reasons, not for logical reasons, right. not for rational reasons, not for scriptural reasons, and mm. not for sane reasons. They have a feeling, and then they're coming up with stuff to justify what that feeling suggests they ought to do. Yeah. The thing to note is we can look at rock music and the African voodoo rituals and recognize, well, that's crazy. I mean, that's just, that's just silly. But actually, nearly everybody does that yeah. in areas of yeah. their life yeah, that's right. all the time. Here's why we went through all of this is to say you're going to have people in your life tell you, I know the Christian view. 
I can tell I can break it down. I'll stand on the word of God. The thing that we want you to ask when you look at that is, does this person actually believe this linkage? Do they actually believe in the nerve jamming and the African voodoo rituals? Or are they just afraid? Yeah. Do they look at this and see something they don't understand and something that scares them, and they're just afraid, and they're looking for something to try and lessen their fear? Mm-hmm. We can all be sympathetic and understanding about someone who's afraid and trying to figure out what to do with that, but we don't want to let that person make our decisions for us or other people's decisions for them. Mm-hmm. People, unfortunately, do try and make policy and legislation based on fear and emotion. It is always a bad idea. Right. That's not how a godly person or a wise person makes their decisions, whether it's about euthanasia or anything else. Absolutely right. Uh, one thing I'll attack on the other to kind of build on what uh, Jed is saying there is that you can't trust this kind of decision making as he's saying, because part of this is letting that emotion, like someone letting that emotion, letting that fear drive them towards trying to reduce, this goes back to where Glenn started us off, a human beings, individual complicated situations down to symbolism and metaphor and just something we can strike this down. And uh, so there was a pretty famous case a few years ago, actually a while back here in America, where there was a, the, a woman was on a feeding tube and the uh, the family was going to remove that. The hospital was going to remove it. And it went all the way to con- to the Senate for people trying to get them to not do this. Um, that included a person who was the senator from my illustrious state at the time who was a board-certified MD who was going on the floor of the Senate just saying things he knew weren't true hmm. about the medical end of this. Because he, some combination of he, his donors, just wanted, did not want to talk about this woman's situation. They wanted to make an overall point about this big issue, yeah. which is where a lot of this Christian, uh, Christian position stuff comes in. And if you read through the, the actual Bible, not the one you made up, the actual Bible, with the things that are actually in the Bible, in the Gospels, people tried to do this to Jesus all the time. Yeah. And he never played into it. They said, here's this woman. She was caught in adultery. And you say forgiveness, but also we know adultery. So what do you say? And he said, do any of you have a right to criticize her? And that was the end of it. They said, this guy's blind. Was it his fault or his parents' fault? Let's make an example about a bigger point of this human being. And Jesus said, no, and healed the guy. People have been trying to pull this as long as there have been people to say, ignore the the nuance, ignore the humanity, as Glenn said, and let's just make a case study out of this. And that is just about the least Jesus-y thing you can do. Amen. Is dismiss someone, uh, the humanity of a situation, in pursuant of a larger overall kind of binary black and white situation. So when someone asks... If, if part of this was, you know, someone said this or asked, you know, well, you're a Christian, what do you say about this? The, the, the easiest way out is, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I, no one in my family right now is terminally ill. Um, I'm not in the medical industry. There's no reason I should have an opinion on this. I'm not a legislator. Um, Lord, uh, God forbid that at some point I or a member of my family develops terminal illness, we'll deal with it then. But until then, uh, this is an initiative we're all trying to follow Glenn on, which is the initiative being middle-aged white men trying to have less opinions. That's right. And uh, it's a much happier way to live. So we're going to move on to our final question here. This one came into Glenn's blog, UncleGlenn.com. It is, I'm going to say, spectacularly popular. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's popular. Oh, well, very, that was very, very humble of you. Very, very, very popular. Extremely, mm. extremely popular. Mm. 
So this came into to that, I th- but I feel it's a really good one for us to kick around. It says, hey, Unka, I'm a youth ministry volunteer, and I was asked by my pastor to preach a short message this Sunday in church. He showed me how he was taught to do it in school. Save that for uh, later on. And it was very different from what I would say to the youth. So I'm wondering how you were taught to write a sermon and what you think is the best way. So, Leah, I'd love you to start us off here, and you actually uh, are uh, uniquely positioned to answer this because you do a lot of youth ministry, but you also uh, pretty regularly do the uh, the preaching on the Sunday morning there. So um, how do you take the one set of skills and transfer it to the other, and what do you look at when you're putting together a talk? I think uh, the number one thing that I'm uh, thinking about when I'm putting together a talk is who am I talking to and what are they going through? Um, I, I think that when you're when you're trying to figure out what you're going to say to somebody, it's always good to, re- to have two questions ringing in your brain, which is one... Why in the world should these people listen to you? And two, do you have good news for me? Yeah. Uh, The gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel means. What we believe about Jesus is good news. So I need you to tell me some good news, and it's up to you to be compelling enough for me to listen to you. Or it's up to you to to say something that I care about. Um, Like... So tonight, I had to give a talk to a group of middle school kids ranging from, you know, kind of uh, 10-year-olds to 14-year-olds around there. And you're like, dude, what in the world does a 14-year-old even have in common with a 10-year-old? That is such a wide range. And whenever I'm doing a middle school talk, the first thing I think about, one, is actual human middle school kids that I know that I've hung out with and that I've had conversations with. That's thing number one. Thing number two is I think back to what it was like to be a middle school kid. And what were the things that I cared about, that I was afraid of, that were driving me bonkers, uh, that I was uh, insecure about or whatever. Because what I'm looking for is they, they, they are giving me a chance to talk to them. Do I have some good news about Jesus that's going to unlock something that's holding them back where they are going to move forward in their relationship with the Lord? Um, why do I have to listen to you? Oh man, you seem to remember what it was like to be a middle school kid, or you've hung out with me enough to know what I'm actually going through, or you've entered into my world enough to know, uh, what, you know, what's up with me. Whenever I get a chance to speak in, uh, you know, on a prison deck, I may not have, uh, you know, I, I, I can't think back to what it was like to be locked up because that's not part of my experience. And so what I do in that situation is I go real hard and heavy on, hey, I'm here because I love you. And I'm here because I respect what you are doing. And I've got some good news for you tonight. I think these are always the questions that I want to, that I want to answer is why in the world do I have to listen to you? And do you have some good news for me? That's where I like to start thinking about this thing. Amen. Really great point. And Jed, you, can you pick us up there and expand a little bit further? I certainly can. I certainly can. I think it's easy to get into a role of thinking that a sermon is about me saying interesting, clever, noteworthy, profound things. You mean it's not that? It is not that. It is super duper not that. And this is a, this is a great uh, point to break in and point out that all the advice you're going from these guys also will definitely follow over into having a one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. never on the mic. And a lot of folks, the first couple times they do that, think 
it sounds weird for one-on-one, think exactly what Jed is saying there. Yeah. Now's my moment to be profound. Exactly right. Well, actually, let's talk about one-on-one conversations for a second, because um, uh, particularly these days, I do a lot more of those than I do of preaching. So here's, generally speaking, how a one-on-one conversation in a ministry context works. Someone comes to you, and they say, I'm having a rough time. I'm feeling crappy about this thing in my life, and I'm afraid that XYZ might happen. What do you think? That's that's where we begin. Now, this is not an invitation to have interesting and noteworthy thoughts about stuff. This is, <laughs> I am hurting. Uh-huh. Do you know something I could do that might help, that might make that better? That That's what this person is saying to you. Uh, if, you know, if, if, if someone walked into the ER with an arrow through their shoulder... They'd be saying, I'd like to see someone about the arrow. If we could, probably removal. I think that's the likely option. I mean, maybe there, I'm open to alternatives, but I'm not a doctor, but probably removal would be the way to go. I'd like to see someone about that. Um, similarly, and again, no doctor looks at that and goes, maybe, you know, maybe the arrow has a point. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> you know, I've been reading a book about the history of arrows. And uh, I'd just like to give you some facts about arrows now. They were created in the Neolithic period. You would fire that doctor and get a different doctor. I read about fletching. He wants to hear (laughs) facts about fletching. All right. So similarly, if someone sits down with you in a one-on-one conversation and says, my girlfriend just broke up with me. Um, I can't eat anything. I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'll never love again. And life has lost all meaning. They are saying, there's an arrow in my arm. Could we... Sorry to cut you off, Jed. Just so you know, if you're going to work with youth, you're going to have that conversation 1,750 times. Absolutely. And the correct answer is that never. You know, C.S. Lewis, his girlfriend broke up with him once. <laughs> oh, I think he has a lot to teach us. Yeah. It, the answer is never that. The answer is, you know, I've been reading the book of Leviticus lately, and there's a lot of stuff in there, man. really makes you think. Really I've been makes... reading the book of Revelation. In many ways, a breakup is like a seven-headed sea monster. <laughs> <laughs> It's, they say, my girlfriend broke up with me. I hate everything. I want the world to catch fire. I will never love again. The place we want to begin is, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry you're hurting. Yeah. And then we, we, we talk and we, and we listen way, way more than we talk. And we, we try and, and plant some seeds of some steps that they can take that will, that will lead to feeling better. But again, there's an arrow protruding through their arm. We're going to try and help take that arrow out of their arm and patch them up so that they can not have an arrow in their arm. A sermon is that exact same process. There's just more people there. But none of it is about you. None of it's about your interesting thoughts. None of it is about stuff that you just think is neat. There's a problem in this person or in these people's lives. There's a hurt that they are wrestling with. There's a wound that, that is paining them. And we're going to try and do something, hopefully something based on personal experience. We're going to try and do something that will help, that will lessen that pain, that will be, give some healing to that wound. That's actually the difference between a sermon and a TED Talk. Um, the, the thing that that, uh, Christians do is they give sermons, which are meant to heal. Ted talks are meant to inform and entertain. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a ministerial thing. That's actually a different job. So if you're giving a sermon, we're trying to heal a wound, not inform or entertain. Absolutely right. If you listen to Jet answer, you may, uh, think that arrow wounds are a pretty big problem here in Chicago. Here's the thing. I can't prove that's not true. (laughs) If you can't, if tomorrow the front page of the Trib said over the weekend thirty people wounded with arrows, I would probably believe that. It's believable. Uh, a projectile Absolutely. is a projectile. 
<laughs> and Glenn, uh, obviously, uh, this question came into you, and you you answered on the blog if people want to go read that. But you do a lot of coaching with pastors mm-hmm. um, and the people who've been trained to do this. So a little bit of what uh, Jed and Lee were talking there was uh, what would occur to someone naturally. Mm-hmm. Someone comes to you, they sit down, they have a problem, and you address that as if you were talking to a fellow human being. Right. Um, Pastors are not necessarily taught that. No, no. So if we're someone who's in a local church, who's a youth volunteer, who's a children's volunteer, who's getting input on via one-on-one conversations or you know, like give them little talks or whatever from their pastor, it may be very helpful to understand the lens through which some of that is coming as we deprogram it. For sure. I think, uh, and I say this as, as with a, a note of a profound compassion towards pastors uh, many of them are given an education towards pastoring that is insanely bad. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. just disruptively bad. Like if you if you giggled at nerve jamming, you should hear some of the stuff they talk about I, in seminary. Every yeah. single day of my life, I'm hearing something from a pastor that makes no logical sense whatsoever. <laughs> they were taught that and ingrained that just drilled into them and it's coming out only by degrees you know and 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 i'm i'm holding a light up to that i'm and 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 you know kind of shining a light onto that and they're they're seeing it and they're going with me but uh, we we have to respect that it's not hard for somebody who's been given a lot of that to 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 turn around and, and i'm not saying that precisely to be a negative towards seminaries even though they super deserve it um <laughs> I'm saying that uh, we have to understand that uh, uh, a lot of them are taught you need to get these people lost before you can get them found, that that you have to convince them that they are sinners in order to uh, uh, then proclaim the good news that there is a Savior for that sin. Uh, that uh, is just so wrong. It's just... People know they're sinners. They've got a conscience. The Holy Spirit works on their conscience. If you walk into a room of white suburban Christians and you ask them, do you think you're basically a good person? You are going to get the giantest dose of lies you're ever going to hear. Those room people will say, well, yeah, I'm a good person. I tell you, I think I'm a basically good person. Are you sound alive? Is that is that what you think? You're 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 basically a good person. Can I check your internet history real fast? Can I just oh uh, hi, uh, you know I'm a good person. I pay my taxes and everything. Is that the measure of a person? They pay their taxes. Is that you know? So the, there's a lot of overcompensating for a, a sense of guilt by acting perfect. If you if you fall for that act, I. You don't have any business trying to minister to people. That you, you have to see that that's guilt, uh, just the same as someone who comes in uh, fully convicted of their sin. It's the same difference. Uh, so we get into a lot of mistakes with that, or pastors do, and and that's the difference between working with youth and working with adults. Is as as a youth ministry person, you can you, you sort of assume that these youth are having internal struggles and sometimes they're acting fake off of that with adults they can kind of convince you a little easier i guess and that that creates uh that, that's why you're a little smarter on this than maybe your pastor is jesus gave us a great uh, a great instruction for a starting point of ministering to people and this is your cornerstone this is what you begin with this is the most essential uh, verse about ministering to other people that you can get. 
He says, you weigh people down with burdens they can hardly carry, mm. but you will not lift a finger to help them. So what does he mean by weighing them down? He's talking to religious leaders here, just and people who are going to be doing preaching and uh, sermonizing and all that. He's saying you're weighing people down. What does he mean? He means that legalism we were talking about earlier in this episode. He means you're standing up and telling them, don't do this, do this. You're standing up there and saying, faith is good, doubt is bad. And that you're putting that burden on them. You have to have faith. Well, my life sucks. Well, you have to have faith. Carry that weight. Lift it, tote it, and do it. Well, how? You just do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> and Jesus is saying you're not lifting a finger to help them. What's, what's lifting a finger to help them? That's telling them how and also being there being yeah. present, being being with them, and being compassionate and understanding, walking with them, and trying to figure it out along with them. Uh, Jesus also gave us an analogy of being a physician. You know, he says, you know, if you if you don't think you're sick, then don't bother me while I try and heal people who know they're sick and are asking for it. I'm paraphrasing a little there. It's the Glenn Standard version. That's right, but it, it's important for us to recognize that. Uh, I need to have that problem-solving uh, healing uh, uh, mentality. They, they have emotional problems. They have real-world physical problems that are triggering that emotional problem. And there's a spiritual problem that's always going to be a component of that. So that the devil tries to give us lies uh, that hold us back so that we, we have a, a physical problem in the real world. I lose my job, something like that. I feel like I have less worth and and maybe I'm being punished for something I did wrong. There's the lie. And because of that, I feel like I can't go to God and ask for a new job because I deserve to not have a job because I'm a bad person, and that's why I lost my job. So you can see how going in and preaching, you have to just do the right thing. You have to have faith. You just have to do this, and God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. If I put all that on you, I'm just weighing you down. Mm -hmm. I'm only lifting a finger when I put my finger on that lie and say, that lie is a lie. Here's what the Bible says about that that is the truth, and I break the power of that lie. That is creating healing within you, and now you can move forward. Now you can grow. Now you can uh, go to God and tell him about your pain, and he can give you healing for that emotional pain that you're going through. And he can also give you that faith that we're talking about here, mm -hmm. and he can uh, strengthen you towards getting that better job. I mean, physical energy and, and uh, emotional determination, all that, that's bringing healing. But I have to have that physician's mentality, just as Jed's saying, a you know, guy comes in, he's got the arrow in his arm. You don't open up a medical textbook, turn to a random page, and start talking about whatever's under your finger. You talk about the situation this poor guy with the arrow in his arm is going through. Welcome. Like to, glad to have you in the air today. Today we're going to be talking about pulmonary embolism. Yeah. Right. And I have a lot yeah, but of I got this arrow here. This, yeah, why don't yeah. you sit, sit down? Well, later this year, we're working through the medical textbook in a logical progression. Okay, one chapter I'm living in the 18th century, and I got this arrow that's coming. <laughs> that's all really great stuff, and I will, I will tie this back into that idea of um, kind of a couple things. One is, all, again, all that will work in one-on-one -on -one conversations. You're the kind of person who's uh, not going to be on the mic, um, but we know a lot of folks who listen to this who are uh, youth ministry, young life leaders, that kind of stuff. So hopefully there's some good stuff there. One thing I'll add is, you know, I was I was asked by the pastor to do a little thing on Sunday morning. A big part of preparing talks, messages, sermons, whatever you want to call it, 
that I, I think people don't put quite enough um, energy into is understanding how this fits in the larger overall thing that is happening. Mm-hmm. So um, is is this the main sermon for the for the morning? Is this a little kind of ministry update for how the youth stuff is going? Is this just kind of a, a thing they want you to share to get some people to, you know, see your face and know who their kids are hanging out with? All that, none of that's bad. All that's great. But that should affect the way you tailor it. As Glenn's pointing out, um, some of the bad habits that people get taught are, it actually goes back to what we were talking about the other question of just totally one size fits all as as Glenn sometimes walks some of our bridge pastors through who have been seminary educated of who think you got to get them lost where you can find you got to convince them they're sinners. Um, everyone at the bridge has state and federal record that they're wrongdoers. Right. Like it's been written down. They've had a number right. written on their shirt. It's yeah. a whole, there's no one confused about that. Right. Right. So even if that was true in your suburban church where it's not, but even if it was, you have to adapt to the situation. That's We're not right. looking for the, there is no one right way to present spiritual information. There's mm-hmm. some adaptability there. So uh, like, you know, cause I'll go down to like uh, the church Lee works at when I'm visiting down there. And sometimes they'll have me do, one of the preaching slots, and that's a specific kind of thing. You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to bring that. Sometimes they'll have me come up and do like a little update about the ministry we're doing up here. Uh, That's great. Love doing that. But that's a different thing that has different goals. So what would be a good sermon would actually be a not great ministry update and you can flip flop those. So one, and I think that will also help take the pressure off you to know again, that the, the goal is not to give a great, piece of oratory and if you can walk through that the pastor say well what do you what do you want out of this mm-hmm. knowing how, what the particular goal for this particular talk and that again applies to one of the conversations takes a lot of that pressure off the i have to do this right i have to yeah. nail it i have to because you can if you have an actual goal you can fill out then you can figure out how to do that and that really does help with all those things all right if you have a question for us say that podcast at gmail.com the bridge chicago dot tumblr dot com we're gonna take out with a live bridge worship song this week this is an old jed burr favorite this is called bigger than my fears take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing to do about it you say that podcast kick back and loaf with loaf it'll jam your nerves (laughs) (laughs) god i'm here and i'm laying down all the things i'm afraid of here and now I'm tired and I need you to take this off of me God, I know you can handle this Even though I don't always feel it Because you're strong and you're fierce And you're bigger than my fears God, I know that I need your Killing me Cause I'm not in control I can't fix it on my own God, I need you to give me faith To follow you for another day Cause I'm out, I need more So that's what I'm asking for Cause I'm out Back to the start of that song Here we go, sing this with me now 
What I'm asking for 